0: Hello and welcome once again to the JCN Clinic Podcast Show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. Today we're bringing you one of our Q&A sessions where you guys have left us some lovely questions, quite an array as usual on our socials. And we're going to pick some of our favourites and answer those. We'll see how much we can get through. Hey, P.S., by the way, completely off topic, I forgot to tell you before, there was an earthquake last night. Did you guys hear about that in Queensland? Like there was literally an earthquake in the middle of the night here.
1: You guys have had a few earthquakes though, haven't you? Like I feel like there was one not that long ago.
0: Yeah, there was one. I was asking Damien, I'm like, when was that last one? Because it was the first one I'd ever experienced. I'm like, was that here in Victoria or was that in Brisbane? But it must have been down here because I was – Beside myself, I'd never experienced it. And he's just like, meh, because obviously he's used to them from New Zealand. But it just, the, I was dead to the world asleep. And suddenly, like the whole bed, the whole, like the whole earth oh was shaking. God. It was so scary. Damien's like, it's fine. It's nothing. It's fun. I'm like, you're a sicko. What? <laughs>
1: Oh my God. Yeah. When you say earthquake, I don't actually even, re- I don't, my brain doesn't register that you experience it, if that makes sense. Like I just think, oh yeah, earthquake. But then yeah, if you've actually been woken up, but yeah, that's, that's full on. I've never, I've never experienced one. So I have no idea. So I feel like I would be terrified as yeah. fuck.
0: Yeah, totally. That's how I feel. But he's just grown up with them and like you, and big ones too. And he was like explaining to me was it last night about the difference between like the different sorts, how they can be like rolling ones or ones that move. And he said the rolling ones are the scary ones because like it's like being like the motion of being almost on a boat, like the ups and downs. And he's oh like, god. you know, you've got to run and stand in the doorway or get outside, and all these things. I'm like, I just felt like the earth was going to open up and swallow me. And he was like that's nothing. <laughs> oh my Jesus. god,
1: I'd, I'd be, I'd be with you. Like I'd be like, fuck, it's this a spiritual apocalypse is coming? <laughs> 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 but the rolling, the rolling ones, I don't think, I don't think I would do well with purely because. I feel like I get a lot of um fucking like disequilibrium things happen to me a lot anyway so I don't know what it is like sometimes the earth rolls for me anyway <laughs> it's just true <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> like. I'm I not bet getting... it does <laughs> Sometimes what have you been like I just be yeah <laughs> what it's like hey sometimes like I'll just be like like for example a bench top that I know is straight doesn't feel straight to me if that makes sense um so yeah so I feel like if I <laughs> it's hard to explain I feel like it's probably just go or something and sometimes but I like for example I've been sitting like on the toilet wing before and the whole thing it's like my whole the whole earth just starts turning around me like it's really terrifying Ooh. i think it's i think it's a type of vertigo or something i don't know it's usually when i'm quite wonder stressed
0: i uh, wonder if it's blood um, pressure
1: could be yeah could be i've had it like before where i've actually like it's been at work and i've actually had to put my hands on the both sides of the toilet walls to steady myself um Whoa. but anyway yeah so i feel like if i was in your situation i would be fucking so scared
0: Oh, <laughs> it definitely was.
1: <laughs> how long How long do they last?
0: Oh, they can last for quite a while, but this was, I don't know, it wasn't long, maybe it'd lucky to have been 20 seconds. But, Still yeah, it's like, yeah, long enough, long enough to be like, what is actually happening? The funny thing was, oh, Damien's yeah. so going to kill me for saying this, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he got up. He actually was up because he got up because he fart and he didn't want to stink out the bedroom he was trying to be nice so he literally walked out into the hallway and did this big fart and as he did it the earthquake hit it was, <laughs> so like, it was just a response it was the weirdest thing oh my god oh, i'm crying that is,
1: gold. that is gold. it's like it's like nature retaliated to his arsehole <laughs> swallow you you stinky fucker <laughs> be gone oh god
0: <laughs> oh there you go One that's start. fucking
1: great like they're the things that you wish you had on film like <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is good <sighs> i love it so good
0: Anyway, the <laughs> listeners, we will get back out of the gutter we just crawled into and start tackling <laughs> some of these questions. So, the first one I feel like has been asked quite a lot. And sorry it's taken us a while to get to this. We have covered this in other podcasts more broadly, but the question is Does diet affect autoimmunity, but in particular, rheumatoid arthritis? Um, we might refer to it from here from as RA because we're lazy. <laughs> we tend to do that with certain conditions. But yeah, this, this particular question, um, as far as the broadness of autoimmunity, I know we've done podcasts on it, but it'll be a good one to break down a little bit further here in regard to RA. So I don't know if you want to start. I mean, I feel like this is one of those questions where ultimately the answer is, Yes, definitely, of course, but there's so many, <laughs> there's so many avenues and it depends on X, Y, Z. So do you want to start and then I'll add, because I feel like otherwise I might um go down some serious tangents. Cool.
1: Yes, sure. I think, yeah, 100% in short, the answer is yes, but I probably think I'll probably like I'll explain it in the way that I explain it to my clients in the clinic. So and I do have quite a lot of clients with rheumatoid arthritis, um, whether it be their first autoimmune um, condition or whether it's their secondary or their third um, or even fourth for some of my clients. Um, so it's probably worth mentioning that, you know, autoimmune itself is like a big inflammatory condition um, and it's where the body essentially starts attacking itself um, in response to an area. It's probably not the best explanation but anyway we're not here to talk about exactly what it is but the way I explain it to my clients is that the reason that diet and lifestyle factors, but particularly diet and gut health, I know that, you know, we're going to come back to this, are so important is because Mm. there's so much of our immune and lymphatic system in our gastrointestinal environment. And obviously immune, like autoimmune, like the second word there being immune is basically an overactive inflammatory immune response. So, So what we really want to consider here is how, You know how much we can use diet and supplements um, to, you know, really look after that overactive, overactive, and learn to almost deactivate and support a normal immune response. And so much of that happens at the gut level. So when we're looking at how much diet can impact that, like diet, I would say is probably one of the first and foremost and biggest determining drivers of the pathogenesis of an autoimmune condition for a lot of a lot of people. Um, It is beyond important um, but definitely what we see and I think this is where it varies. um, Definitely what we see is how quickly and effectively diet can work and that is definitely in my experience and I'm assuming will be the same in yours. It varies from client to client so it depends Mm -hmm. for a lot of people especially like especially like let's just use rheumatoid arthritis because that was the question in terms of, you know, that the question was dictated. So rheumatoid arthritis being obviously an autoimmune condition of the joints, it's pretty severe um, for a lot of people. It can definitely cause, um, you know, extreme joint pain, um foot pain it gets like some of my clients get it in their jaws their shoulders like it you know but more commonly starts in the finger joints um and but it can actually get to the point where it actually starts to change the actual bone structure so it's it's pretty it's pretty full on and pretty severe and definitely we see i see such a sliding scale in terms of symptoms for people for some people are a you know when clients come to me they're already in a really acute onset Um, or a really acute flare, um, and they potentially have been for a while. So realistically, where they're at when they come in to start working on diet does a lot of the times determine how quickly diet and supplementation can take effect. Um, Would you agree
0: with that? So, yes, so much. Um, Yeah, it's very much a, a sliding scale depending on the level of, one, the inflammation that they have going on but to, I think, just person-to-person how much they have going on and their ability to respond. But I definitely, yeah, (laughs) I can't agree more that diet is such a massive component of this because, as you said, like if we know we're dealing with an overactive immune response and we know that a huge component of that immunity is driven by the gut, then... (laughs) We need to think about what's influencing the gut on a daily basis, and the most influential factor there is the food that we eat. So, we need to consider food that is going to, for us or as an individual, drive inflammation. So, I feel like I feel like when it comes to autoimmunity or again rheumatoid arthritis, it might there might be some sort of stereotypes or cliche or this concept of like eat an anti-inflammatory diet or avoid inflammatory foods but we always look at it more individual than that because you could get on google and look at like an anti-inflammatory diet for autoimmunity and it might bring up things about nightshade vegetables it might bring up things about lectins and phytates and look there's there's some validity for some people in that but it's not for everyone. And that's what we very carefully work out with our clients. But you want to look at foods that are triggering an immune response in the gut. um, Because if they're doing that, that's the last thing you want going on. So there's working out what's, what's potentially triggering you on that level. But then the other aspect I love with this is what we do on top of thinking about what's just triggering immunity is what can we put back into the diet and eat regularly to drive inflammation down or to provide a array of antioxidants like there's this sort of concept that I think gets forgotten with diet too which we I guess we see in lots of aspects where it might even be gut health alone and it's like avoid this this and this and like forgetting it's like yeah there's a whole nother side of the story here as far as what else can you also consume as well So that's the magic of diet with something like RA, like it's not only how can you use it to control inflammation and reduce inflammation, but then obviously how can you add to it? Um, And I feel like to go back to what you're saying about with clients, like sometimes you see where the inflammatory driver that's triggering the autoimmunity can actually be so heavily laden in the diet that when you change the diet, it has a profound effect, and actually, it has boggled me, <laughs> boggled my mind sometimes how quickly the yeah. positive effects can actually um, happen for some people. And I'm not saying that in all cases, but but I, I've seen it absolutely with people where it's obvious that the main driver is actually diet. Um, I can actually think of a client at the moment that isn't r a they're um, they 've got another type of autoimmune condition, but within the month with just dietary changes blew my mind still to this day you know it 's nice to have your mind blown um, the the difference in in how yeah. she feels like it was radical um whereas as you were saying Rissy, like sometimes there'll be other clients where of course it's a longer process but just because it's not straight away. um, It's something that you have to be considerate of. And I just think to discount the diet doesn't have an effect. And I know that people Mm. would get told that by maybe rheumatologists or GPs, you know, don't worry about diet. It's not going to have an influence. It's just, let's just say it: it is Friday. It's ignorant. It's totally ignorant in today's World and plethora of research to say that diet isn't going to matter. So, full stop. Full stop.
1: 100 (laughs) per 20,000%. I think um, I'd love to give an example of two of my RA clients and just the absolute different sliding ends of the scale to like kind of give listeners a bit of a tap into exactly the kind of, you know, experience Jess just described, but also then the complete opposite end of how hard sometimes we have Mm. to work with diet and supplements and pharmaceuticals to get, um, you know, someone... You know, it's almost to the point where they're symptom free. Um, so obviously, I've had a lot of clients come in, and they've they either know they've had rheumatoid arthritis because they've been previously diagnosed, or we run some bloods, and they tell me in their you know initial consultation they get quite a lot of joint pain and things like that. So I'll try and always screen an ANA or an autoimmune panel, and depending on um, how lovely the GPs are and what they're willing to test we can usually at least get ANA, DNA and rheumatoid factor done if not an entire autoimmune panel so it is good to always do that but literally sometimes it is just the removal I'm just going to say gluten is such a big one for autoimmune Mm. but with some of my clients like just literally removing that and then talking to my and at you know talking to them in six months time and just having a conversation around you know anti-inflammatory clean eating the removal of potentially gluten and anything else that I feel like is necessary but sometimes it is just that and I talk to them in six weeks and there is a significant if not a total you Mm. know reduction in in joint pain so I think that right Mm. there is profound I love that I love it when I talk to people and you know they're like cool I don't even I'm not even thinking about my joint pain now I'm like freaking awesome and Mm. that's obviously you know that's that's the that's the dream but I know that for a lot of people listening who um, live with Um, chronic autoimmune and more debilitating and more aggressive Mm. autoimmune like that they don't have the luxury of that fairy tale um, transition Mm. it's a really really debilitating process and it takes a lot of fucking work and a lot of time to get symptoms under control Um, some one of my clients um, and she'll probably know exactly (laughs) who she is when she's listening to the podcast if she listens to this but we have been on her RA journey I think for probably gosh, I'm going to say for maybe five years, maybe four years, Um, but she came to me and she had recently been diagnosed. She was diagnosed young too. like So she was diagnosed at third, I think she was 37 um, and she's 41 now. So yeah, so we've been on this journey for quite a bit, but when she first came to me, she was, had, just had this acute, out of the out of nowhere, aggressive onset of debilitating joint pain and transitional joint, you know, structural changes as well. Like it happened really, really mm. quickly, and she was obviously bumped on all the medications, but she didn't want to be on the medications. But pharmaceuticals, as we discussed and we discuss with all our clients, have their time and their place. Um, so we did mm. a lot of radical diet changes. We did gut testing. Um, she was in and out of flares despite what we were doing and yes there was definitely moments of yay we're getting somewhere but there was a, it was a lot of five steps forward three steps back for probably two years mm-hmm. of gut work, anti-inflammatory food work, hormone work, estrogen. She obviously lost a period throughout the duration of having to be on such intense um, pharmaceutical interventions. That obviously has their side effects in terms of, you know, skin, other skin conditions, hair loss. Like there's there's just so much that happens Mm -hmm. for people with um, intensive autoimmune flares that I think, you know, Unless you experience or you know someone who's gone through it, it's, it's, it is just, it's soul shattering. Like that's probably the best way I can say it. Like you just, not only are you dealing with this condition that you can't control as an individual, you've got to deal with all the side effects and everything that come with the medication. So there's just so much in that space and the stress that comes with that, that you have to unpack with your clients. Um, and so anyway, so like fast forward, probably it was a big learning curve too, because she reacted to a lot of supplements from um, a symptomatic point of view that realistically should have been beneficial for her. So I think that's where, you know, as an individual with any sort of autoimmune thing, um, you obviously there's what we know should be good for everyone, but what actually works is a different Mm -hmm. story sometimes, um, So, yeah, so just in terms of all of that, trying to get a rheumatologist on board with frequent testing, but also dietary intervention and supplement intervention is so hard. We actually referred her, I think, to two more rheumatologists to get second and third opinions. Um, And they were just all the same in the sense that they just, you know, she was really battling with wanting to stay on um, the, you know, we got, she's off some, she got off some of the more intensive drugs, but methotrexate seemed to be the one that helped, but they obviously wanted to keep her at high doses of that, which... We did get down eventually. Um, God, there was just so much in that space. Um, What else was there? Yeah, and biologic interventions, which anyway, so there's just a lot to unpack there. But I just want to say that she worked so fucking hard, like to bring the whole diet thing in she you know um we eventually really as two got into the oxalate space for her which is really relevant for her and as just mentioned before there's so many different food spaces to unpack and what's relevant for mm. one person might not be for the next person so you know oxalates did definitely present as an issue for her so you know a gluten free low oxalate diet has definitely been something that has helped but lots of gut work and so Fast forward another couple of years, and she's got a period back. Um, she's still on methotrexate for sure, but we're down to I think it's once a week now. Um and no other pharmaceutical interventions at at the moment, which is really good. Most of her joint pain is alleviated, but she's still got residual damage from the acute onset of the flares that kept presenting. So there's always that to remember as well, that sometimes once there's certain damage done to the joints, it is hard to reverse Mm -hmm. that um, because the damage is done. Um, But, yeah, but just to give an example of where she was and where she's at She's doing amazing to the point where, you know, sometimes I feel like we both feel like crying in consultations because she's done so well. (laughs) But fuck me, it was a journey for her, like full, full on. And, yeah, So and she still works at it every single day and will work Mm. at it every single day for the rest of her life. I know that because she's a trooper. But just to give two Mm. complete opposite ends of the spectrum of, you know, like if she didn't do a lot of my belief is that if she didn't do a lot of the dietary work and supplement work i don't know what the picture would look like yes the medication might 100 be controlling um, the onset of symptoms but the side effects of some of the medication she was on and might have to be on and then other things happening like you know we don't know what that space would look like for her Um, but we also know that you know if you're like if you have one autoimmune condition the likelihood of you going on to developing a second and a third in an uncontrolled inflammatory Mm. environment is quite high so I mm-hmm. think, um, I think you know, that's where, you know, alongside or not alongside pharmaceuticals, whether they're needed or not, you know, that's case by case dependent. But what our main goal with someone with any sort of autoimmune presentation is when they come to us is like, we want to make sure we can try and prevent you from developing that next autoimmune condition mm. because your likelihood is high if we don't intervene here. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's such a good example of the two different spectrums and also highlights like Again, it, it it brings value to the integral component that diet plays in both circumstances. But with the latter, of course, it's you know it is complex. There's so many other so factors complex. that were worked on there. Um, and with not just her working with a nutritionist, it's also working with rheumatologists and with medications and you know and it's, doctors. It's, yeah, and physio I, physios. <laughs> so many different people on board but again like you've got to ask the question considering where she is now from where she was and it'll be continued to be something she works on like without making those changes and those interventions where would she be and also more importantly as you said how things can progress so you know we can't promise someone with rheumatoid arthritis that we're going to create resolution for them Um, You know, best case scenario that something like that happens. But realistically, our role is control um, and modulating that immune response and ideally ensuring that there isn't like an insidious progression that is inclusive, as Carissa said, like different thoughts. Sorts different sorts of autoimmune presentations mm. because yeah that's that's something that no one wants. <laughs> it's just like no. a, just like an additive effect, and you do see that with some of the clients that we have at JCN. Um, by the time that they come to us, like it's definitely not just one condition. There's no. layers of them, um, and the complexity layers. of that is pretty intense.
1: I think it's probably also worth mentioning too, like with autoimmune, um, and definitely I know, and I know this and I know you will know this, but I'm even just thinking about the client that I'm talking about at the moment. Like we, we still don't have a complete resolve of pain. Like we've got, well, most pain is gone, but mm. she like still can't make a complete fist with her hands. Like, because obviously the joint structural damage is, you know, done there, but, um, I think it's really interesting to note that, you know, our biggest thing that we work on too is stress um, and lifestyle stuff because stress correlates Mm. 100% with joint pain for most of my rheumatoid clients. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. like if diet and supplements and everything maintain their stronghold and they're doing really well, but stress is the overarching influencer, um, I definitely 100% Mm. see correlations in... um, RA, but also celiac and any sort of other autoimmune flares that correlate hand in hand with stressful situations. And I know we talk about that all the time in podcasts, Mm -hmm. but I just can't stress it enough. The role that stress plays (laughs) in in this, in these conditions as well. So yeah, that's, that's a big one that, you know, we have to look into and address alongside diet.
0: Yeah, for sure. I feel like that answers that question pretty well. I would just, um, again, stress that there are some (laughs) commonalities with the diet. I know Carissa mentioned gluten, which is just a big one to flag, but yeah, please understand that it's not as simple as putting yourself in a box and getting on the website and Googling what you should do with your diet for autoimmunity, because we can tell you like, absolutely the clients that chris is mentioning the ones that i'm mentioning if we lined them all up and compared their diets and all the things that they are doing with their diet so every different. single one would be different um and you may be surprised by how different they can be depending on what their underlying drivers are so it is it is something that we just would caution you with just following just a basic protocol and if it's something that you're interested in to seek help with because it can be um, a game changer. So question number two, very much a pivot, how to reduce, this is from Mandy, how to reduce cholesterol levels for someone with high LDL cholesterol, but already eating a mostly plant-based diet. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) It's a good question actually, because we see, we actually with just routine blood testing with our clients, see a lot of skewed cholesterol levels. And I feel like weekly I'm having a conversation with clients about, again, I think we've done a podcast on this um, and I'll put in the show notes if we have, that cholesterol um, being high isn't specifically about your diet and what you're eating and the concept of like eating cholesterol foods it's still a very strong notion that that's the main reason and particularly if people have had their bloods with their doctor and then they find out they've got high cholesterol usually that's the first thing they're hearing from their doctor is reduce high cholesterol foods and exercise that's probably going to be the main two things they're being told so from from our perspective when we see cholesterol the reason I say we see a high a lot is that it's Definitely not just something we see as a metabolic marker, as far as like the kind of traditional cardiovascular disease processes. Cholesterol can be very skewed because cholesterol, I always say to my clients, it's like packaged and processed in the liver. So, the way I sort of think it's the easiest way to understand, if we've got a lot going on in the liver, particularly if there's a lot going on in the gut, which is putting a lot of pressure on what's going on in the liver and its role every day, it's quite common to see that we can see a bit of a skew with cholesterol. Also, if there's hormonal fluctuations going on, so particularly thyroid health and women, this is something we see a lot with. Um, If the thyroid is a little underactive, you'll often see as a result cholesterol going up. Um, So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other mechanisms, but probably two of the biggest ones that we see with clients is a very dysregulated gut, a lot of inflammation going on in the gut, Um, And then with the bloods, we'll see cholesterol skewed often, again, high, but that may also be reflected in some liver enzymes that might be a little on the higher end too. Um, So we can kind of, we can see there's this sort of dysregulation going on Mm. with cholesterol. And the reason I bring that up is this person's question is about diet, which is very, very valid, but it's not... Always about your diet. It can be about other um, other drivers going on within your body that are having a knock-on effect onto why your cholesterol is high, particularly LDL. Now, making in saying that, making changes with your diet is still highly important. Like if you've got a standard shitty Australian diet with high processed foods and refined carbohydrates and sugars, then absolutely that's the first thing that we need to change. Um if you have a a heavy plant-based diet, that's naturally going to mean you're going to have minimal what we would hope. That's probably something Krista was going to point out when we talked about this prior. It's like, what do you mean by a (laughs) plant-based diet? (laughs) So I'm going to surmise this person has a healthy (laughs) plant-based diet. I have questions. I have questions. If they have a healthy plant-based diet, they would be eating more whole grains, lots of fiber, lots of legumes. So a lot of the foods that you would associate with helping drive cholesterol down, helping bind cholesterol, definitely in most cases, not high in saturated fats, depending, depending (laughs) on their diet. Um, So I totally get their question mark here. So it's like, I'm doing all the things I've changed my diet. So if with Mandy, we went through her diet and she was eating what we would call a healthy plant-based diet and there was no major sort of flags with her diet that I could see, then the absolute next point of call would be what else is driving this? I would be asking questions around, her gut health. I'd want to see her bloods and look at what the cholesterol markers look like in relation to other common markers. Um, yeah, obviously her full full bloods, what's going with her liver, what's going on with her, her kidneys, what's going on with homocysteine, like whole load, let's look at it all together. Um, do we need to consider gut testing if there's gut issues? Do we need to look at her hormones and what um, obviously her thyroid is doing? What's her Um, feedback from a point of view of the questions around that that might lead me to go hmm that sounds like there might be some thyroid issues so it's it's a bit of a meaty question Um, it seems like a simple question but as always for us it evokes 10 different questions to get to the bottom of it but I'm I'm going to hand over to Carissa because I know that she has got more to say about the diet because that is again important to question to you yeah 100% I
1: think thank you (laughs) ma'am 100 i 100 agree i think i think the first and foremost thing um with any diet but plant-based pescatarian um mediterranean is like if you are and how well you're doing it because i do agree exactly what jess said if you are eating a plant exclusive diet for health reasons, um, it needs to be a whole grain, a whole grain, fiber rich, protein rich, anti-inflammatory plant-based diet. And if that's the case, then I really wouldn't see too many issues with, you know, lipid metabolism, um, unless that there was actually other things at play. And exactly what Jess said there too. I think the other thing worth mentioning with the plant-based diet too, though, it is not. Naturally, as high in some of your anti- anti-inflammatory omegas, like your threes, it's definitely yeah. depending again on even in a, even within a healthy plant-based diet, it can definitely be a little bit more, you know, heavier in the sixes and things like that. So it would definitely be worth looking at. You know, again, it's so hard because we need this person sitting in front of us to make a call about their diet and things like that, but it's it's look it's looking at all of that but you know i've had you know plant based people coming in and they're they're genuinely trying to better their health but they're still eating a mm-hmm. diet quite high in refined carbohydrates um you know they're eating a lot of and i've i've got <laughs> they're eating a lot of the um, plant textured proteins mm-hmm, which I have mm-hmm. a lot of fucking question marks over like I just do I know that I know that we need to look at protein in a, in a different way for out for, for plant exclusive people I 100% agree how important protein is but I do think there's a lot of fucking shit on the market and I don't mm. actually a, agree that a lot of it is actually healthier like yes it mm-hmm. might be you know it's Bacon. I look at some of the ingredients of some of these fake like some of these textured proteins and I'm just like I get it. I get that we, you know, for the many thousands of reasons why people want to steer away from animal based proteins. And I totally respect that. But is this a better option? I don't think mm-hmm. so. Like maybe from purely a protein perspective, but if we look at the totality of health in terms of what that's actually doing at a metabolic, systemic, gastrointestinal level, some of this is absolute shit and there needs to be <laughs> there needs to be some other ways to look at protein. So again, I'd be looking at, you know, that and seeing, you know, how much that could from a dietary perspective, you know, what pro-inflammatory potential is there within a healthy plant-based diet or a not so healthy plant-based diet.
0: The other thing worth mentioning Hi guys, just a quick note to let you know we are now offering $10 off my cookbook EAT for JCN Podcast listeners only. So there is a new discount code you can use, JCN Podcast, all one word in capital letters. Head to the website, the link is in the show notes and you just use that coupon code at checkout and that will give you $10 off. Really excited to bring you this. It's a way for us to say thank you for listening to the podcast. And again, that is JCN Podcast, all one word. Head to the website, link in the show notes.
1: Um, I think it's also, um, you know, your genetics of your lipid metabolism. So there's, there's like, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but there's at least six or seven genes that you can look at. Like I know when they say like cholesterol can be hereditary, and I know that then a lot of people fob that off and go, well, if you you know eat a fiber-rich diet, you can maintain that. But there are specific genetic mm-hmm. SNPs that are pro-inflammatory for lipid metabolism. So if you are someone like this person who wrote this question, and if you're like, well, look, guys, I am eating a beautiful plant-exclusive diet. I have no gastrointestinal issues. My hormones are functioning great. I've done my pathology. If you've ticked every single box and you've still got high LDL cholesterol or high you know total cholesterol or something like that or your lipid metabolism is off then i'd probably be taking that step back and looking at your actual genetic lipid metabolism and going do i need extra supplemental mm-hmm. support here ongoing, going to manage this situation and that could be in the form of extra fiber supplements beyond a high fiber diet that could be um in the form of you know vitamin e fish oil which i know is a controversial topic in the in the plant-based space but that can be so dependent on the clients in front of you i've got purely plant-based clients that are happy Same. to up their omegas with a, with a fish oil purely because we know that they're doing everything else right and this is actually needed. So yeah, yeah that's what I have to say about that. Thank you, ma'am.
0: <laughs> no, I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that about genetics. Of course you mentioned that about genetics. Um, <laughs> and like even from a case-taking point of view, that'd be something like that we would be seeing, as you said, family history. Um, and sometimes gets fobbed off. It's just like, oh, I just have high cholesterol because like my mum had it and her mum had it. But yeah, that's where if everything else has been ticked, knowing that and knowing that there's issues genetically, then it's like, well, how can we support that um, moving Correct. forward? I think the only other thing I was thinking when you're talking about as far as a plant-based diet, depending on how someone eats, is it it does have the ability to be very high potentially very high in fat like in saturated fat Um, and fats are beautiful particularly like of course all the different sorts of fats that we're after but depending I just I think it just kind of comes down to how someone might be eating and the amount of the different Um, plant-based fats that they're consuming in their diet because I've I have seen it excessive absolutely Mm, Um, so it's just worth worth flagging like what is the volume of like the 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 nut butters and the nuts and the seeds and the you know coconut yeah coconut oil is a big one like if you're someone that's kind of into the trend of it and you know you're using a load of those things and you're making your kind of I don't know like your version of a kind of fat, fat bomb, hot drink every day. And then you're doing your like snacks and so forth that are made with all of those ingredients. Like just, if that sounds like you, that might be something that you need to consider too. um, as far as how high, particularly that saturated fat can get up and how long it's been, um, at that high level, depending again on your metabolism and how you handle that with that lipid metabolism. But that'd be the last thing I would point out.
1: No, I think, it's, I think it's felt because, you know, even, even all of your good fats in excessive amounts put pressure on the digestive system in a way that over time becomes pro-inflammatory and that pro-inflammatory response can have an impact on cholesterol metabolism. So I think it's even just that, mm. you know, without, you know, like it's just, you know, I think there's, I know we're making it really, a really complicated picture for people, but... <laughs> But it's worth mentioning, like I see that with clients, like sometimes it's not even their diet's high in saturated fats so or it's just too much of a good thing, like across the mm. board. Like it's just, you know, and I know you and yep. I joke about that whenever we track food, our fat is through the fucking roof, right? But if your yep. digestive system can't handle that. um, Anyway, that's all I was going to say.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so... Our next question is, and do we do this? Well, let's do it. I'm going to say we've done this in another podcast. Um, Amy is asking, do you recommend liver capsules for low iron? If so, do you suggest any particular brands? (sighs) We're not going to suggest brands, just Mm. FYI, because like I think that, yeah, that's not something that we should be doing here because everyone's going to be different. But do you want to start with this one? Because <laughs> I'm just sure. Smoking, so I'm
1: like, Whoa. look, I honestly, I know that the beef liver space is super trendy at the moment. And I'm definitely not going to discredit in the sense that it can 100% be beneficial in supporting iron stores. Um, what I'm going to say is, and I feel like we probably need to do a big podcast on iron physiology itself, is that if you are anemic, Um, your hemoglobin is low, your and your ferritin is low. Is you I just have have not seen personally beef liver cut it in supplementation. Mm. Like there usually needs to be some other form of iron. Like I I I literally cannot think of a client where I've seen beef liver capsules Mm. alone pull them out of an iron deficiency like or an, like mm-hmm. out of an anemia so i think you know alongside maybe some iron supplementation um, the right probiotics the right gut environment they definitely have their place a hundred percent or once you've reached you know what we would call optimal iron storage um you know and that mm-hmm. varies from person to person but once you're out of that anemic kind of space and your hemoglobin is looking nice and strong not borderline strong um, and you know your ferritin and iron physiology is looking good. I think we need to you know acknowledge the whole you know iron physiology pathway as well. But when all that's looking good, absolutely, is maintenance for someone who probably doesn't eat a lot of meat or gets a heavier menstrual bleed. Um, do they have a role? Absolutely. But have I personally seen them pull someone out of anemia? Not in my not me personally, but I am open to if other people have. Mm. Um, And what dosages? Um, but I think at the moment, my I think, yeah, they have their place, but I think again, it's case by case, and I really want to highlight that with iron because I know there's so much talk in the iron space about what's the right supplements, what's the wrong supplements, and all that. But from someone who literally treats iron, you know, store iron issues Mm. with probably every second female client, I can hand on heart say that there is not a one size fits all when it comes to. Um, supplementing and you know replenishing iron at all like there's it's just such a mixed bag of testing retesting seeing what works look checking iron physiology in regard to like serum iron and hepcidin with you know um, iron saturation so there's just so much in the iron space um, personally that I see and if there was a magic one size fits all I would be so pro it but there's just not in my experience
0: Mm. no perfectly said yeah and you just sort of covered my sigh, <laughs> the start really well. Of, <laughs> it's it's your <laughs> sigh. It is. It's it's so yeah. The individuality of of iron is a. Uh, it is so up there. Like I I was just looking while you're talking. I know we covered um, iron in quite a bit of detail, episode ninety four. Again, I'll link it. Linking it in the, the show notes about absorption of iron and deficiency symptoms because this has been kind of stirred up a fair bit over the last year Um, Mm, and there's been a lot of like discussion around supplementation with iron so we did cover it in that podcast so definitely head to that episode if you want to know more but yeah as had just summed up like it's it's so not a one-size-fits-all and I'm with you like I I will use um, or I don't even usually add them to clients um, supplementation they, they or add them I'm themselves. Doing around their iron. They add them themselves. And what I look at it is like, <laughs> I don't have any problems with you using that, but it's an adjunct. Like often, particularly Correct. when people are having issues with absorption of iron, like I will look at a multifactorial approach as far as different mechanisms of absorption, what they're responding to, different types, whether of course supplement and diet. Um, So I certainly don't have any concerns majority of the time of it coming in, but I definitely have a concern with it being the major relying factor, particularly if we're talking about severe iron deficiency. Um, So yeah, that I, I couldn't agree more. Um, And I don't think, yeah, again, like there's lots of brands that are out there, but we won't, we won't get into that here. I think the best thing you can do if you're, worried about iron that will not improve and you're you're struggling with that um as a symptom well you know it can be tied up a lot of different things that's a hard question on its own but if you're worried about it let's just say get some professional guidance and advice and figure out what's going on and what is the underlying mechanism and how to get it up effectively so yeah yeah now We've got time, I think, for one more question. Um, We're doing this well. This one. I'm we are. I'm like, look at us go. <laughs> at us so, Mars underscore cram. Dairy is not well tolerated, causing constipation and bloating. What do you suggest I take or substitute so I can alleviate this problem? Many thanks, Mary. Okay, so firstly. <laughs> If dairy isn't well tolerated and it's causing you constipation and bloating, I would question why you're still eating it. <laughs> I would be firstly advising you to avoid something that's causing you gut distress. So that would be my first suggestion as far as um, how you can alleviate the problem is don't eat it, don't consume it. Um, as far as substitutes, um there's a blog post. It's a little bit older on the website now, but there's a. It's a good one in regard to different types of dairy-free milks, um, and also feedback from different people trying them. So I can link. God, oh, make make another note, Jessica. Dairy-free milk. Yeah, I reckon post. you got a I'll lot, of links, in, a lot, lot of links, mate. A lot of links. We'll put that one in the show notes. Um, and also another one for the show notes, guys. This is probably the ultimate. On the website in the online shop is literally a PDF you can download that answers this in the most succinct way. It's like five bucks from memory and it goes on into dairy intolerance, the underlying symptoms and signs. But more importantly, it goes deeply into substitutes for milks, cheeses um, creams, um, how to substitute it in baking. And then right at the end, there's also a a table on calcium because that's the other question that comes up a lot with this. It's how about my calcium? Where do I get my calcium? So it gives you a table of other sources of calcium, the average amount you should be aiming for per day, and obviously what to include in your diet. So honestly, there's (laughs) really not a better resource I can think of um I guess just to touch on a few as far as substitutes like milks with dairy there's so much on the market now I always say to clients you've got to find what works for you like what I like as a dairy-free milk is going to be different to what Carissa likes what I drink is different too so the milk I like in my matcha and my dandelion tea is different to what Carissa wants in her coffee
1: you milk Um, your own almonds
0: (laughs) 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 Exactly. I've got my, I milk my almond cow once a week. (laughs) So really you kind of need to look at what you like. I feel like this is very much about taste. There's a whole nother conversation. Again, it's quite popular at the moment in, I feel like social media about um the different types of oils that are in milks and, you know, va- definitely valid. So that's something that you might want to consider if you're using a lot of dairy-free milk, not all bought milks have the added oils. Um, so that's something to consider. Cheeses, um, there's plenty of different cheeses out there now. Um, I would just avoid any of <laughs> space food one space food. where the ingredients are like a list of things that <laughs> you're like I don't know what that is it sounds like a science experiment Um, but again there's lots of different options like we're in an era now where you can find options everywhere there's alternative butters there's alternative cream so I feel like substituting is actually quite easy it's just a muscle you haven't flexed so you've just got to Learn and the way to learn is to educate, so that's where something like that PDF is really helpful and then you just start experimenting and trying different things. And if you're unsure, you reach out to people like us and <laughs> ask. So you know that that there's a lot I from a baking cooking point of view, I could probably talk about that a lot more and go into specifics. So if you guys want to know more about that in regard to dairy, maybe let us know but I'll stop myself there because it's a deep question. We go into many deep areas when it comes to this. Um, deep baking holes. And uh, Yes. What do we suggest you take? Look, again, if you take away the problem, the thing causing the problem, then you should be fine. But if you've taken it away and you still don't feel right, like you have been having something that's caused so much aggravation to your gastrointestinal tract and your gut immunity in general then you might need a little bit of help just kind of getting things back on track and that can look different for everyone again like it may be as simple as needing a good quality you might even be like a course of a good quality gut powder as far as inflammation goes and settling things down and then potentially um, some, some probiotics and that's hunky-dory. Um, otherwise, yeah, it, it can be very varied. Like we will have clients that will come to the clinic where they've been, cons- say with the dairy question, they might've been consuming dairy for their whole life. Um, they're now in their mid thirties. And as a result, they've got an onslaught of not only gut symptoms, but the inflammation has been going on for so long, it's, it's actually started to present itself in other systemic ways. Say it's skin, for instance, but again, can be multiple factors. In that case, it's not just as simple as always removing the food. There may be some work that needs to be done on the gut support wise to help the recovery, um, the gut. As we've talked about before, it's wonderful in its ability to um, turn over cells quickly and um, create nice, healthy, robust cells. So usually working with that alongside removing the food is generally going to take care of most of the problems. So like a lot of these questions, it's a bit of a depends, depending on how severe the constipation, the bloating is. But first and foremost, remove it, figure out what those substitutes are that work for you um use a guide like that pdf if you need it and then if you're still struggling with gut issues after that then get some guidance on what to do further so hopefully that helps did you want to add any more
1: um i was just gonna say it also probably could be worth mentioning that it might not be the entirety of dairy So again, too, sometimes, you know, and I know we've touched on this in other podcasts, but, you know, it could just be you have an issue with lactose and you haven't identified that yet. So you might just need to switch to lactose-free dairy products. It might be that you don't do well on cow's milk dairy, but that goat's and sheep's milk products are okay or camel's milk. Um, You know, like there's, it's just also to that kind of, if you remove it entirely, as Jess was saying, and have a break from it and all of your symptoms, digestive symptoms do settle and you feel better. Um, there's definitely a space then to you know do a bit of a you know retry of certain products and just see and very slow and steadily to obviously identify if there are any issues but you might find yourself in a space where it's not a complete dairy elimination it's just a partial dairy elimination and you can go back to consuming you know lactose-free products or goats products with no digestive concerns so that's always a win.
0: Mm, good point. Good point. Yeah, figuring that out, which is often something we do with clients once we're kind of reintroducing foods and figuring out whether it's a lactose issue or whether it's that kaosin in the milk. So I like it. I like that you mentioned camel milk too. Good <laughs> <Get a laughs> old <whole> camel milk. <laughs> uh, I think we might end it there. We do have other questions, but we'll probably save them. Well, not probably. We will save them. We will get to them oh, in some think. of our other A sessions. Um, and if you guys have more questions you always do the best thing to do is to head to the JCN clinic uh, on Instagram and you'll see we'll post it regularly but there is literally a post there that says want your health questions answered for free Um, that's for the podcast and I can't speak today the podcast Podcast. and just leave it literally (laughs) in the comments below um if that all just seems too hard just dm us (laughs) but essentially that's where we're (laughs) going to be heading to find your questions and answering them whatever works (laughs) um so to finish off I would encourage you to I feel like no one ever wants to do this because you guys get shy but if you want to record Your question, this is the beauty of social media now. You could just record it as a voice memo and DM us. That would be pretty cool because then we can actually play your question um, live on the website and obviously that way we get a little bit more of the complexities of it too if you're explaining your situation. So just to plant that seed. But otherwise, let's end the show with some recommendations, which I'm sure neither of us have prepared because... (laughs) come on. This is I actually podcast. have. And, oh, what? Well, you better go first then. Hit us.
1: Cool. Okay. So my recommendation is this little um, company that I found at the markets at Manly in Brewers, Vegas. Um, and they do set up, I think, for, I can't remember, at Barden and some, somewhere out past Sanford as well, but they're a little um, company family owned from Sampson Vale and they make olive oil um, some vinegars and some jams, but I just want to talk about this balsamic balsamic and pomegranate vinegar. It is Ooh, like the best yeah. thing I've ever had in my fucking life. <laughs> yeah, I, you can just eat it off a spoon. Like it's so delicious.
0: It sounds freaking amazing. It actually reminds me of like when you say eating off a spoon, um, proper balsamic like the proper stuff mm. that you can get should be like syrup we've got a we've got a bottle we bought <laughs> this sounds so up yourself a bottle that we bought back from Modena and it's like a um a proper concentrated like from the an old vat of balsamic and yeah you just have the the most common way that you'll have it is at the end of a meal like off a teaspoon like dessert and it's just Yum.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Yum. This isn't um so good. This isn't yeah, this isn't as thick as some of those other ones. Like it, but it's like I would say, you know how when you get like cheaper balsamic, it's very watery and very tart. It's not that, it's kind Uh of like this nice in-between, and then it's kind of got like that the tartness I feel like comes more from the, the pomegranate more so than the vinegar. And so it's kind of like this really nice, just perfect combo. I'm like in love with it.
0: So good. Um. Okay. What do I want to recommend you guys? I feel like I've got, the <laughs> main thing that came to mind again was like an anti-recommendation, which I need to stop doing, which is <laughs> like, don't substitute protein powder in baking for collagen because it doesn't work at all
1: (laughs) (laughs) this fail has made my week
0: (laughs) so if you go if you go to oh they might be gone now depends on when you guys listen to this because i haven't got it actually in my feed there but there was some stories there just documenting the latest recipe post that goes live today um which is some protein cookies essentially. So they got like a good dose of protein powder in them. I wanted to create a snack for you guys that was a bit higher in protein, um, some good carbs and not as fat dense because a lot of the snacks on the website are more like kind of protein balls with nut butters and those sorts of things, which I love, but I get requests for these sorts of things too. Um, And I also feel like it's the sort of snack that you could eat before a workout, like quite close to a workout and, and not have sort of sit heavy and repeat on you because it's like having a, you know, a sort of fatty protein ball (laughs) off the back of our talk about the cholesterol, (laughs) cholesterol foods. Um, so yeah, that was the whole concept behind it, but I wanted to do it with collagen originally because I feel like collagen's Probably what we have a lot of our clients using as a protein powder option in their smoothies and so forth, because that's just so easy on the gut. Anyway, long story short, it dissolved (laughs) in the oven. The original cookies went in like these perfect little round pillows, and then they just went and blew out to these discs that. Damien reckons look like boobs with, it's got like a little, I put a piece of chocolate in the middle. So it's like the nipple is the chocolate of a flat boob. And It's like, <laughs> it's probably about two mils thin. It's like ridiculous. They do taste delicious. It's almost a bit like um, fruit strap. Like it's quite malleable. So I do like, Carissa te- mm. would love it because it's all like squidgy. Oh, you I just play with it. So you kind of tear mm. bits off it and cr- yeah, it's you'd love it. Um, if there's any left, when I come up next, I'll bring you some, but they're probably <laughs> I think, I was just me gnawing some. on it yeah. like a maniac. Bring me
1: some of your fails.
0: So the, <laughs> don't just sub collagen because it will fail. Um, but the, you know, the good side of this is that the positive recommendation is that if you're not subscribed to the website, get yourself subscribed. Again, you can do it through the show notes and that We'll give you the recipe in your inbox as they drop. They'll always come to subscribers first. Um, And these cookies are made with more of a protein powder instead of the collagen. And they won't melt and turn into big nipples. (laughs) They will hold hold themselves as they should and provide you with a nice little snack. So that would be my recommendation slash anti-recommendation of the day. So, guys, um, once again, thanks for joining us. Um, We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and answering these questions that you have thrown at us over the past week. Again, if you've got any, make sure you leave them in our DMs or on the socials. Um, Once again, if I could ask you to just take a moment to like head to apple and leave us a review even if it's just a quick hit of the five stars it'd be amazing because it helps other people find us Um, and as always too if you can share this podcast on your socials um, that means the world to us but otherwise have a fabulous day and we'll catch you next time talk to you soon bye